Hello, and welcome to Big Sound Small Town. I'm your host, Sandy Carlton. The small towns and communities of Cleveland County, North Carolina have long been a hotbed of music in all its many forms. Several Cleveland County musicians have found commercial success and critical acclaim in the music industry. Yeah, everybody knows that Earl Scruggs, Don Gibson, Patty Loveless, and Alicia Bridges are from Cleveland County. Donald Byrd, too. So this is not a podcast about them. This is a podcast about the musicians who are still here and keep music alive here. This is the stories, and you need to know them and know the people who are making the music. This is not, this is not your normal podcast. song you just heard is Rick Delosier. The thing about flying is from his album Heart and Soul. And he is my guest today on Big Sound, Small Town. Today on Big Sound, Small Town, my guest is guitar hero, guitar teacher, sideman, and band leader, Rick Delosier. How you doing, Rick? How you doing, Sandy? I'm glad to be here. Well, man. I'm glad to have you here. You're a busy man. I didn't know if I'd ever catch up with you or not. <laughs> well, uh, we try to stay busy. We try to stay busy. Well, this has been a long musical journey for you. Yes. I mean, I've been here since the 70s, and I've heard your name ever since I've been here. You know, Rick Delosier plays with so-and-so. You know, I mean, it's, you played all over this town, probably more than anybody in this town. Wow. Yeah, I, man, for me, it's just, I love the instrument. I fell in love with the instrument of uh, playing guitar. Uh, going all the way back to 1965 when I was four years old. Uh, I remember it well. My sister was watching one of the dance programs. I don't know if it was American Bandstand or one of those. And, uh, there was a black and white reel of Chuck Berry doing mm-hmm. Maybelline. Yeah. And I grabbed up a uh, the little brooms that we used to have <laughs> for the fireplace yeah. when I was four years old. I grabbed that broom up, and that was my guitar for until Christmas that year. Okay. And I got my first guitar. At, and uh, You remember what it was by chance? It was just a cheap little old acoustic. Right. And uh, about four years later, I got the opportunity to go with my uncle and play bluegrass, square okay. dance music right. yeah. at Cat Square yeah. in 1969. That's and, pretty uh, wild. Uh, and I've done that for about three years. Uh, so you see, you didn't, you haven't always been that shredding electric guitarist. No. At some point you were, you were a bluegrass. Yeah, 
country. And, and love it. Yeah. And, and love bluegrass. Love all styles of music. Right. Uh, and then when I was 11, I met uh, uh, who still to this day, and, and we stay in touch, was a hero of mine, uh, Jackie Potter. Yeah, Jackie. Lived down the road from yeah. me, and I was out on the front porch playing. And Jackie came and literally pulled in the yard and got up on the porch and said, boy, let me show you how to tune that thing. <laughs> and he tuned my guitar to an open tune. Yeah, yeah. And started sliding one finger Oh, around. yeah, oh, yeah. And believe it or not, that's that's how I figured out a slide player right. was doing open tunings right. when I saw him do that. But through Jackie and James Crosley, yeah. Oh, yeah. those two guys uh, all through my teenage years, they helped me get work with whatever bands I was right. in. They would get me bookings and yeah, any they help I needed. Here for a long oh, time God, too. yeah. And, and any, anything. I could go to them with any problem, any question. Right. Uh, I never will forget uh, when I was in high school, I crawled through the window at the Roxy in Charlotte. Oh, yeah. Because they wouldn't come to the door. It was during the day. Right. And uh, I crawled through the window and the bouncers caught me. They were right. in there cleaning up. And they took me to Paul Scoggins. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know and Paul that. said, what What are you doing? Said, well, I want my band to play here. And That's a pretty good promo. I and mean, that would sell me. He booked me. Yeah, I, I mean, that would work for me if I and was a promoter. Then he said to me, he said, I want you to come this weekend because I want you to see what we expect out of you. All right. And I went. And... The band that was playing was a band from Louisville, Kentucky called Buster Brown. Okay. Yeah, I kind of remember when they were around. They had a 20-foot trailer pulled by <laughs> a Peterbilt. And they had gear. Oh, man, they had gear. And I left that club at night, and I went to James, and I said, James, I messed up. I got a booking at the Roxy, and we ain't got nothing. <laughs> and James got round wound up getting all the equipment. He got John Stewart to bring his PA down there. Uh, somebody he knew that had a light show that come. I mean, so the, those the guys that were older than me always helped me out. That's good. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's it's a hand me down business. It is you know, a hand me down really. business. Yeah. So. Uh, I spent my high school years playing uh, mostly with Don Roberts and uh, Chris Ramsey and Bruce Camp. We had a little band called Rocks. What, and what, were y'all playing rock and roll then? We were playing rock and roll. We were doing ACDC oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, we played the barn a lot down oh, in Gaffney. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were lucky enough to play P.B. Scott's and Boone. Oh, yeah. Beautiful and, venue at the time. That and, was a great yeah, place. Yeah. Uh, we opened up for a couple of bands up in Boone at that time. We actually opened up for George Thorogood and the Delaware Destroyers. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would have been the early version. The early version of the band and before they made it big. And uh, uh, we got the opportunity to open up the Dixie Dregs. Oh, well. yeah. That's, so, oh, yeah. You know, it was just, and once time. again, that was all people older than me that were already in the business around here helping right. out. You know. That's great. Yeah. So then what happens? You, you, you know, you're in... You're in high school, you're just getting out of high school, playing music. When does it step up another notch? John T. Tech. Okay, old John. <laughs> I was working with uh, a guy named Danny Williams out of uh, Greenville, North Carolina. We were we would go out and play Wilmington on the weekends, or Greensboro, or Greenville. Right. 
And I ran into John T. Tack in 1979. Uh, that was at the height of his booking and time. He was a slick talker. Yeah, he was a slick talker, all right. And yeah. he was one of those guys. He come up, put his arm around me, and he said, "I'm gonna make you the next Jimi Hendrix." Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I fell for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, uh, I wound up working with T. Tack uh, for about seven years. And um, that was all up and down the East Coast, I know, and all up and down the East Coast. And he, he also later on. Uh, the last couple of years I worked with John, he uh, leased me at like traded us with another band oh, yeah. with a guy uh, that was booking the Midwest called Ed Trehoe. And uh, we went up and done Minnesota in January. I'll never do that again. Yeah, no, Wisconsin I, in that mm-hmm. area. January, February, March, you know, we spent three months of our freezing to death. Yeah, I'm so, sure you did. But, uh, after after my experience with T-TAC, uh, I actually got the opportunity to go to the Musicians Institute. Okay. Yeah, tell me about that. It was um, it was a tough experience in the sense that I ate Rama's noodles every oh, day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I starved to death in Los Angeles. I oh, just yeah. literally starved to death out there. But as far as uh, it... It was a turning point for me as a musician because of all of the knowledge that I attained through the seminars, through the library that they had there, uh, which was an early computers back then were nothing like they are now, but they had a library that was like on computers and you could go study all these lessons and everything. And it opened up a lot of doors for me and uh, taught me a lot about theory, music theory, and the application of music theory. And, and I guess some, of the, some of the seminars with guys like Al Demiola, Frank Gambale, uh, Vinnie Moore. Yeah. You know, for years I had a little um, cassette. Back in the day, we used to have the uh, small cassettes that went into oh, yeah. dicta, dictation Dick machine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I had actually taped the Vinnie Moore Thing. And I I would go back and listen to that All for right. four or five years after I'd done that. Oh, that's know, pretty cool. To, to learn more and more. It seemed like every time I listened to it, I'd learn something. Well, I, I take it you, during this time, you're doing a lot of woodshed. And I mean, just sitting there with no life other than practicing Play. and playing music. Play. Yeah. My, well, you know, uh, I've, I've said this before. It started when I was about eight or nine years old, uh, six hours a day. Yeah. I mean, it's six hours a day. You can me. tell that in your playing. I mean, you well, can tell you. that you thank that you. Not only do you have the talent, but you have the, the knowledge, which sometimes is not the same. You know. Yeah. You, you, you got the theory to go along with. Right. The talent, and people don't realize that um, talent alone is not a, not enough. It's the hard work, and people yeah. don't see. That's part of the reason we're doing this. People think, yeah, man, Rick just always knew how to play. Well, at some point. He spent some time working at it. Yeah, I think one of the things that I figured out early on, a lot of people, a lot of people when they say they practice, they pick up a guitar and they play songs that they know. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Okay. You know, back in the 70s, it might be Bad Company. You might might know a bunch of Bad Company tunes or some Ted Nugent or something like that. So they would pick up the guitar and they would do that. What I chose to do was scales, right. picking exercises. 
the things that I couldn't do right. was what I wanted to work on six hours a day. I, I had to do that to learn to cross pick on an acoustic guitar for a long time. Oh, yeah. Rather than just strum, you know, I'd yeah. sit there trying so hard to get that right, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, but people don't see that. You know, no. they, they, they no. miss that part of it. No. And, and the big thing about the theory, uh, and I always tell people this, it's not so much that you're going to learn something new as much as it is that you're going to put a name to something that you already know. True. Because a, a lot of people, when you teach them seven fundamental modes or uh, all the different things that can be done with the pentatonic scales, uh, it's not that they all already know these scales. They just don't have a name to them, right. and they don't know where you can and can't can use, use them. them. Yeah, over what they can use yeah. and what they can't. You get yeah. some ground rules that yeah. way, you know, uh -huh. which makes it easier to improvise. It does make, and that's that's where you learn to improvise. Yeah, that, and then you then once you learn that, you learn then the other stuff comes because sure. you don't have to think about it. Yeah, I mean, you you put that time in, it becomes you can develop it yourself then. Right. Well, eventually it becomes, for me, uh, first of all, for me, I, I never looked at guitar as a competitive thing. Right. In should, other words, I'm, never I'm, not, I'm not better or worse than anybody else. It's not like that. Right. Guitar is expression. It is. You're playing what you're in your head. It comes from your head, your heart, goes through your hands. It does, I agree. And so, and if you look at it like that, it's like painting a picture. It's the same thing as being an artist. The song is a canvas. Uh, the guitar or the bass or whatever instrument you play is a brush. And you're applying the color. You're applying it to that canvas. Right. So now you're getting into what you hear in your head. So what I hear in my head and what you hear in your head and what somebody else hears in it, that's, those are all apples and oranges. Right. So I can't say, I'm better than Sandy. Oh, yeah, I got you. Know, you. Yeah. Because yeah. it's expression. It is. It's expression. Music That's all shouldn't it is. be a competition. It is not a competition. You know, yeah, I agree totally. We see eye to eye on that totally. It's, yeah. it's just a, you know, it's, it's what it is. Yeah. So, all right, you get through there. You come back from there with, with some knowledge. What yeah. happens then? I started really getting into writing and recording uh, Myself and Albert Ford put a band together called Ichabod Crane. Yeah, I remember that band. And we uh, we recorded an album at uh, Pyramid Studios, uh, Tony Cook's old place up yeah, there. Yeah, I know Tony. And uh, so that was really, uh, I had done some recording before at Country Road Studios right. in Marion. Old Fred Rumfeld, Fred Rumfeld used to let me come up there and just do whatever I want to do. Oh, that's good. I mean, you know. well, there's nothing like getting comfortable in the studio. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. And then uh, Albert and I was the, the thing with Ichabod Crane, myself, Albert, uh, Terry Armour, and um, Stevie Umphers. Yeah. Uh, Stevie and Terry, I think they were like 17 years old. Yeah, they had to be pretty that. young. They were probably. young then. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it was a, a further experimentation for me of learning how to record and how to write a good song. And what, what kind of, was this, were you doing original stuff then? We were doing all original stuff and it was very progressive hard rock. Right. You know. Um, and after that. Um, I mean, you pretty much made a name for yourself around here during that time as, a, as the 
progressive hard rock player, you know. I never knew that. Yeah, oh yeah, you were the, you, yeah, your name was everywhere, you know, you were the, the, the king rock guitarist around here. Yeah, I, I never knew that. <laughs> I never kept up with anything like that. I um, honestly, and, and still to this day, and you and I have kind of talked about this before we've done this show, I'm pretty much an introvert. Right. Yeah. You know, I understand uh, that. I spend a lot of time playing five nights a week, seven nights a week on the road. And for me, I've been out enough. Right. You know. Oh, yeah. So when yeah, I'm home, I know that. when I'm home, I like to be at home. You right. know, I do. I like to spend time with my dogs and I like right. to spend time, watch a little bit of TV, come in here and record. Uh, I still come in here and work uh, recording, writing uh, six, seven hours a day, eight hours a day. That little plastic container over there has got 32 cards in it. There's an album on every one of them that has has yet to be put out. Well, that's, you know. So uh, that's you know. That's, I do that's I do understand passion. that. I write songs still to this day. I don't know that anything will ever happen with them. Don't you gotta really get them care. out. Don't really care though, but they got to come out. They got to come out. Yeah, you they got to come out. So so I mean they'll they may sit on a disc somewhere years after I'm gone, but. Yeah. But still, you got to get those things out. You got to get them out. Get them out of your head. You do. You do. And uh, so I was basically just doing that. And then in 1991, uh, I had just finished playing with a, a group called Dangerous Angel. Uh, basically, the only jobs, the only job we ever done was uh, we played at the uh, American Legion in Kings Mountain. Oh yeah. For a year. Yeah. And uh, so that had split up. You know how bands are. They, they're they short-lived. Yeah, they do. And uh, I was actually at my mother's house, and Cecil Potluck yeah. called me from Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> and he said, uh, would you like to play with the Ohio Players? And I said, sure. I'd be glad to. Yeah. And he said, well, run out and get the Ohio Players' greatest hits. Right. Because that's what we're doing. Okay. And I was okay. All right. Now he that's said, a change in style yeah, lately. You yeah. Know? And he said, when we get to Charlotte, we're going to pick you up. I'm like, okay. So sure enough, my first job with them was at the old Coliseum in Charlotte. Yeah. And I spent nine months, seven days a week. With them. Playing with them. And at that time, there were like only three of the original members left, right. Leroy Bonner and Chet, and uh, Kenny Petty, I think, was with them still right. at that time. But uh, there were two guys from Shelby yeah. in the band already. Oh, already, besides, besides. besides me, Cecil yeah. and uh, Stevens, uh, Bobby Stevens. Oh, yeah. Oh, Bobby yeah. Stevens yeah. was playing keyboards. Oh, okay. Ah. So we spent nine months doing that, and it was very, um, it was my first experience with a big name band. Right. And I had all these illusions or delusions, I should say, <laughs> of what it was going to be. Right. And those nine months taught me a lot because that band didn't have PA, right. it didn't have lights. Um, uh, we came in with our guitars. You provided the back line. Oh, yeah. And everything for that band. Right. I never knew what kind of amp I was going to be playing right. on. True. We never knew what kind of monitor system we were going to be looking at. Sometimes it was great. Sometimes it was horrible. Right. But the one thing that always happened 
those guys nailed it every night. Oh, that's great. That's the way it's supposed to be. And Professionals it, it, all the way. It took me back to something that John Tetak told me in 1981. He, um, he sat me down one time and he said, listen, somewhere right now, there's a kid sitting on the side of his bed playing guitar. And for this brief moment in time, he is the greatest guitar player in the world. But the difference between him and the Steve Vise of this world, right. so to speak, the yeah. big name guitar right. players, they can do it when the bell rings. True, that's it true. It don't matter what you give them. This is true. It don't matter what equipment they're on, they'll do it. And with the players, I saw that firsthand. Right. Guys that have been in the business a lot longer than me, different style of music from totally anything different. I was yeah, used to. Yeah, it was, yeah. But just uh, their, their ability to, to pull it off. I mean, they could do a, a show to a 400-seat place, and it was the same show they'd done at the New Orleans Jazz Fest a yeah. year to 160,000 people. Right, right. That's, yeah. that's great, though. I mean... That's how professionals do it. Yeah. The ones that survive it and do well, that's yeah. how they do it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's a pretty good experience. It was. It was. And immediately after that, I was able to get into the, the business of doing some, uh, uh, a lot of session work on guitar. Right. Uh, so I was able to do a, a lot of background music for commercials and so forth like that. And in 1997, I hooked up with uh, Ronnie Wisnut. Yeah. And I spent 21 years with Crimson Rose. That's a long time. And I would play with them on Friday and Saturdays. And along about uh, 2010, I started working other nights of the week with other bands. Right. And... Uh, I got back to working for a company at that time. They're defunct now, but uh, I was working with a company called Star Tracks out of Atlanta, Georgia. It was uh, belonged to Paul Grumman. Okay. If anybody knows who Bernie Grumman is right. yeah, from A&M, yeah. yeah. it was his son. Okay. And uh, we were doing backing tracks for General Motors, Mary Kay Cosmetics. Oh. Uh, we'd done a couple of A&E uh, documentary. Right things that were uh, background music for them so forth was that fun yes uh, it was i'm sure i it, mean that that would that looks to me like that would be fun it was uh it, it was challenging it, it it could be challenging because you would go in and, and get these uh um sheets of, of music of right. what you were going to play an hour before you walked in there oh yeah that is challenging so if you didn't know how to read music you had a problem right uh, and they were very demanding on you about uh, more so on people that done voiceover work and vocal work and stuff like right. that but but uh, it was it was good we got to to work at some fantastic studios like the the Blue Room in Atlanta yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic you know Muscle Shoals, yeah. Alabama. Yeah, oh yeah. We've done uh, uh, BJ music down in Orlando, Buffalo. I mean, you know, we got to travel yeah. around. All the GM commercials were cut in uh, Buffalo, New York. But, uh, and, and I really enjoyed that. And through that, I managed to meet David Grissom. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Continental Club. <laughs> yeah. I saw how... Yeah. 
my Paul Reed Smith's exactly. laying right there in that case. Yeah, I saw that's what I was <laughs> going that's, with that. Yeah. That's, that's why I play Paul Reed Smith. Uh, I played with Ronnie on Friday and Saturday nights, and I would do uh, sometimes Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday with David, sometimes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday with David. Right. And um, David is sponsored by Paul Reed Smith, and he just had Paul Reed Smith everywhere. And uh, he was the first person I saw playing one. Yeah. Uh, and and I mean, he could probably play anything, but he certainly made those Paul Reed Smiths sound wonderful. Well, there's nothing like them, man. They're they're uh, they play themselves. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, fine guitar, no doubt. I mean, you can see I've got a Satriani, yeah, custom over there behind oh, yeah. me. I've got Schecter laying oh, here. Yeah. I've owned Strats over the years. Um, yeah, I've Les seen Paul, you playing those Strats. Uh, and, I, and I always love Strats. Uh, I've got a picture in my phone when I was 15 years old playing a 57 Les Paul Gold Top. Mm. I will put that, I will put that Paul Reed Smith in that case up against anything I've ever played. That's I mean, great. I, I love them. Well, you actually, I mean, you couldn't have, you couldn't have played with a better person to, to be a representative of that than he. Yeah. I mean, he, he was yeah. really good. He and, still is really good. And, uh... Okay, I'm back here with Rick Delosier. We're talking music. What happens next in your life? Well, while I was still playing with Ronnie and him, uh, I decided that I, I wanted to, uh, for years I had written guitar instrumentals, but I had never recorded them. Right. And I just didn't think anybody would care about them. Right. You know, and uh, so in 2012, 2013, right in there, I recorded the first solo Delosier album with right. me playing bass, guitar. Oh, you were playing it all? Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, um, Did you play drums on that thing too? Actually, I'll tell you what I've done. I hate to admit this. Uh, <laughs> I, I do not... I'm not able to play drums as a drummer. Right, I understand that. Too. But I can do that. if I do one take playing kick drum and snare, right, and then go back and add the hi-hat, and then go back and add the rolls, yeah. and then go back and add the cymbals, I I'm a drummer. Right, well, <laughs> I mean, that works. I mean, I mean, you know, it's the, it's the same effect. <laughs> well, I mean, in the end, you can't tell the difference. No, you, you can't. Know? You can't. But I'm not actually, to be honest with you, I'm not coordinated enough to play drums. Oh, I, I can't mean, do I, it. I don't, I, don't, I don't see how they do it. I mean, know? I can do it a little bit, and I've done one-man things where, where I've used a kick drum and a hi-hat and that, but but then I don't know what to do. I got, you know, the rest of it, I can't. So the early Delosier stuff, that was it, was, it would either be uh, actually a couple of the tunes... Off of the first CD, there's some programmed drums in this Digitech pedal here right. that I used yeah, well, on a couple of them. Yeah. And uh, I've done that for a while. Now I own Superior 3.0, which oh, is yeah, a programmable yeah, right. drum deal. Right. But uh, yeah, um, 2012, we done the first Delosier CD. and I, Did you yeah. go out and back that up playing it? No, okay. I didn't. I just put it out on the internet and... Um, didn't really, I think I made a couple of videos for the first one, but it was basically just, um, I went and put it on 1,820 internet radio stations. Oh yeah, okay, that helps. So 
I realized that most of the internet radio stations would have 50 to 100 people. Right. So I knew I had to have a lot of them. Yeah, that's good. That's that's, that's so a good theory. It's, yeah. it's kind of hard to keep up that with that database right. yeah. and everything. But we actually, we got to where um, we have some FM stations. Oh, okay. We're on FM in Australia, for right. instance. We're on FM in Germany. We're on FM in, in Canada. Right. Uh, We've got an FM station in Peru that plays oh, our that's stuff. Pretty cool. We've got an FM station in Brazil. Well, that makes it. I mean, the one good thing is it's instrumental music, so it's universal. Right. Doesn't matter. Does right. you don't have to understand a language. Right. I mean, I mean, good good instrumental music knows no ethnicity or, or no race. I mean, right. it's it's you know it's it's a universal. Language. It is a universal. It's a universal language. language. Yeah. And we've done, I'm up to the fifth one now, uh, along the way, uh, between 2012 and now, there was one CD that I'd done with a gentleman out of Germany that's probably one of the greatest singers in the world. His name is Andreas Blyer. And uh, one of my CDs is called Battle of Forevermore. He sang on five songs. Oh, okay. And then we done, I've done how, five How did you find him? It was the result of being on all these radio shows. Oh, okay. Just being on all these radio he shows. He contacted you then. And he contacted yeah. me on Reverb Nation. That's great. Uh, one of the things that i done in 2012 when I started um, doing the instrumentals, I put together a Reverb Nation page. Right. And I hired somebody that knew, knew what they were How doing, doing to run yeah. it. Right. And Kevin Dunham. Yeah. And Kevin's been with me since 2012. Oh, and, that's good. Uh, Right now, we have been number one in the world as an instrumentalist on Reverb Nation for seven years. <laughs> and that's all him. It's not me. Well, I, mean, I mean, it does help to surround yourself with the right people. Yeah. yeah it, it's his effort that makes that happen. And uh, so it just, it's one of those things. It's, uh, each CD has progressed more and more. We, I've gotten better and better at it. Uh, uh, Back in 2017, I decided that, uh, for instance, that the fourth CD I done, I needed to do some more mellow stuff. Oh, okay. And I pretty much done a CD that was a mixture of um, just more laid back material. Right. Uh, in general, a little bit of jazz. Right. You know, on some of them. And uh, when I done this last one, which is five, it's called Five, The Lozier Five. Um, I, I just went full bore, right? Going all the way back to to the Ichabod Crane oh, type yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I'm gonna right. go back to my roots now, right. and I'm gonna do what I do best. Right. And uh, and I had the new. I'd really you know worked on programming drums and worked hard on playing bass and worked hard on coming up with uh, new things on guitar. Right. You know. Oh yeah. Things that would be uh, things that would pop. Right. I understand. You know? mm -hmm. And uh, I done it and uh, done that CD and lo and behold uh, we got signed by Dr. John's Surgery Records out of England and right now the, the CD's been out three months we're doing great that's great we're doing great I mean, we've got one of the songs is ranked number eight right now in Sydney, Australia on uh, Valley FM 89.5 so hard work pays off yeah, yeah. it does because yeah. you've been doing it a long time. Yeah. You know? In fact, this this is what you you've dedicated your whole life to music, hadn't you? Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. There, there, there was never 
a time in my life. I work, I, I, yeah, I'm almost ashamed to admit this. There's only been one time in my life I punched a clock. That's great. And I was 15 years old. And uh, I have never done, I've done this. I've raised my children doing this. I paid my bills doing this. Now, the, the difference between those of us that are musicians, you gotta be a go-getter. You do? Oh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. You can't turn down no work. No, you can't. And you know today when you wake up, I've got a choice. I'm either gonna go play and make money or I'm gonna starve. That's true. And that is a one of the greatest motivators. It is a motivator, is. no doubt. When you know you gotta pay your rent, you gotta get groceries and you gotta buy kids school clothes and stuff like that. Yeah. That is motivation beyond is. anything. Yeah, I agree totally. And that yeah, that's also that's why you've also kept progressing, getting better and better at changing with the times, so to speak, yeah. too. Because you got some different projects going on now too, don't you? I do. Uh, some guys that I were, was actually teaching. I was just working with them teaching, and we've wound up putting a band together called the Turbulence Society, and I love it. Uh, you can see on the posters we yeah. do a, a blend of classic rock, we do funk, we do R and B, we do soul, we do blues, we do a little bit of everything, but hip hop and rap. Right. That's the only thing we don't do, you know. Yeah. And. Uh, We'll even break out some jazz for you. Oh, that's you know? great. I mean, that is really... And uh, I love playing with those guys. They're great guys. They're, they're young, too, aren't they? are young. Two of them are 22 years old, and the other one's 32 years See, old. See, and, and that's how you stay young, and that's how you, that is also how you stay involved in the music business. Yeah. I mean, you, you change with it. You, bring, you learn with the young people. And they, they really, I mean, they kind of, they run the band. They set the tempo. I let them do, you know. Right. They come in and they say, hey, I'd like to do so and so. Well, okay, let's do it. Right. Yeah, we'll that's try. Great. That's great. And if you go out there and you play it and it, it hits and it pops, okay, we'll keep doing it. If it don't, guess what? We'll drop it. We'll drop it. Yeah, no yeah. harm done. Yeah. The great thing, it's like I told you before we started, the great thing about these guys is uh, the friendship, the yeah. brotherhood that I've developed with them. Uh, the way... We can get together and watch a football game on right. Sunday, hang out and eat. It don't have to be just music. It don't have to be music. Yeah, exactly. It just a bunch of guys hanging out. Yeah. And I've been in so many bands where if you weren't the guy at the table, you were the one being talked about. True, true. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Huh? You know, yeah, everybody loves uh, hammer, uh, backbiting uh, and yeah. power struggles. Bands, and, bands and, people that haven't been in bands don't realize No. How dirty the business can oh, be. Oh, yeah, it can. And, and why bands don't last a long time. Those are great. They were great. How come they broke up? Well, you had to be there. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always somebody. Always. Somebody's wanting to get their friend in the band, wants to get rid of so-and-so yeah. so they can get their friend in the band so they'll have more power in the band and oh, they can get yeah. done what they want to do and they'll be running the band and all that, you know. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And this is one of those things where we just uh, we just love what we're doing. That's great. And, and everybody loves each you're, other. You're a lucky man there. Yeah, those are few and Well, you know, they're few and far between where you can have a brotherhood outside of the music. Yeah. Uh, now, so. I've got a lot of guys that I've played with over the years, and I'm sure you do too. One thing about it, uh, if you travel on the road with anybody, right? Oh yeah, five, oh, six, yeah. seven nights a week, you're a brother. There you are. I mean, that's a, that's a lifelong thing because you share stuff that I, 
I have to be careful here, but people that aren't musicians don't understand musicians. Mm. No. They don't understand. And, and this is another thing I kind of hate to say, but generally, musicians like musicians better than they like other people. Yeah, right. I mean, and animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It's, it's a... Uh, it's it's really is. I mean, I've played with guys that if I could have played with them on the weekends alone, just playing Friday and Saturday and nothing right. else, and I would never have learned as near as much about them because it's oh, easy yeah. to hide who you are. Oh, it when is. When you just show up on the weekend. Yep, it is. But when you're seven nights a week and you're traveling across the country, and the only people you have are the people you're in that bus with, or the people you're in that van with, and doing laundry with them, people miss that <laughs> yeah. stuff. You yeah, know, you know, yeah. People miss the. You the, learn everything <laughs> you about each other. Yeah, you do. You learn everything. You, you can't do. hide it. No, yeah. you can't, and it's one of those things. People don't see that either. They don't see. They see you roll in, but they don't. They don't see you not sleeping or sleeping five and six in a, in a van or a room and they don't see you washing your clothes and yeah you know they don't see that stuff that used to be the big dilemma you know yeah it, where are we going to wash our clothes oh yeah that's, <laughs> we're, so we got to find the washer at you know we ain't yeah. washed clothes in a oh, week I we know. got to find the washer oh yeah I, that's another thing too you know you know people say i'm a musician man but uh, I've never been to a Waffle House. You ain't a musician, man. I mean, no, no, no. no. I mean, or the buffet. Oh yeah, cheapest place cheapest in town. Place you can go. Oh yeah, I mean, find a buffet, man. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, they they admit. I mean, it's the side of life that I guess is good. They miss because most people couldn't do it. Yeah. I always thought it was funny because I've I've done more work out of town right. than I have actually in town. Yeah. And uh, I always thought it was funny because. You know, you can go play in town, and you're really not that big of a deal. I agree. And, and you know, it's a shame that it's that way. That's part of what this whole deal is. People need to know that there are people here that are real musicians. These people, these people that I have on this show, they're better musicians than you are. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. then, then you'll pay somebody twice as much as you'll pay one of these people, and these people will be every bit as good or better yeah. the person you're bringing yeah. in. Yeah. But, they, you're, but you're the local person. You're the local guy, and they know you. Yeah, they, they know They went you. to high school. Yeah, exactly. They know you can't be all that. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then when you leave here and you pull into town, oh, it can be a little town like we were talking earlier, Little Whiskey, yeah, Georgia. Exactly. You're a hero. Exactly. I mean, these guys are pro. They're going right. to get out of town. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, and you yeah. get top dollar, and they you treat do. you like you a do. king. Yeah. I've never understood that, though. It doesn't <laughs> no. matter. Doesn't matter where you're local at. Doesn't really matter the city. Maybe a big city. It doesn't matter. But anything that's not very big, you're always the local guy, yeah. and, and and you're always going to get passed over. I know him. I know him. He can't yeah. be that good. If he's that good, why is he still here? Well, some yeah. people choose to stay here. You know. I mean. Yeah. I mean, some people aren't. There's a hundred reasons. Uh, that 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 the musicians are here. Yeah, and there's a bunch of good ones here. I mean, we are lucky that we, there is a lot of good musicians here. We are. Here. We're lucky. I mean, I I can just start naming Ace Fieldback, <laughs> oh, James right. Crosley, yeah. Jackie Potter. I can just start naming guys, and it goes on and it on does. and on. Uh, this this area has Alan Biggerstaff. Yeah, this area one. has been blessed. Oh, it has. I'm, with I, good musicians. And there's a lot of new young ones and here new too. New young ones, and, and you know, I'm just now learning about some of these guys like Chris Faree. Oh yeah, and, Chris Faree. Yeah. And we were talking about Derek McCoy yeah. earlier. Yeah. And, and 
Uh, I mean, there's a lot being, of... For me, playing with Nikeo on drums, right, Nikeo exactly. Wallace, yeah. I have learned a lot about guys. That he's running around freelancing. Well, yeah, he does. He plays with a lot of people, He plays too. with everybody. He's like yeah. I used to be. Yeah, he just, just, just pay me. I'll be there. He's you know? the go-to drummer he's, these days. He's the guy. Yeah. But I've, I've learned Dan Staten, I believe yeah. is his name. Yeah. Uh, there, there are just a lot of really good musicians around. There are. That's, that's good. Always that, has that, been. That warms my heart. Mine, too. And that's the whole premise of this podcast. Hey. Cleveland County's got as good of musicians as you'll want to find per as capita anybody. anywhere. As anybody. I mean, we've yeah, had some absolutely. famous ones, but mm-hmm. guess what? We got some that should be famous here. Yeah. You know? Just good pickers and, yeah. and good players. Uh, we've always been really fortunate there. Good drummers. Good drummers. We've had some good drummers. We've Phillip Greg. Really oh, Philip. Yeah. yeah Phillip. You know, and everybody knew Philip. Yeah. Pat Mahaffey that's yeah. on the wall yeah. up there. Yeah. Played with me uh, for oh. years and years. There's, I mean, there's been a ton of good ones yeah. around. Good. There's There's been, and then you could do a whole podcast just on bluegrass players from around here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a whole different show. Yeah. And then, and then you know, uh, then you have like even the Alicia Bridges, you know, the, mm-hmm. the that deal happened around here, and there's some good R and B being played around. Some good gospel, you know. I mean, it's a it's a yeah. lot of lot of lot of good people. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a good uh, it's a good area to be in. Uh, you know, we've always been located in a good area because True. we can go to Asheville, we can do Charlotte, yeah. we can do Spartanburg, we can do Greenville. Yeah, you know, it's we're a good location. You can you can stay within two and a half three hours. And play that'll get that'll get you all the way to Ashburn. True, you know. Well, you know, these days there are some places to play locally. For for a long time, there wasn't that many. We always oh, had to go someplace. I know. There's a few. I mean, it, we could use more, but I mean, I really enjoyed because I had a girl here from Russia that played violin, and we done a CD together. Right. Uh, Diana Netcheva, and um, I actually went and played the Dragonfly. Oh, when she was up there. Yeah. I saw she was there. You know, I, I, I played fiddle violin. I, I kept wanting to. Every time she was there, I had a job, but I wanted to see it. I didn't know you were playing with her. Yeah, and oh. we've got a CD. I'll give you a CD okay. for you. Yeah, guys. that'd be great. And, uh, but uh, I, I had never done a job like that. Right. That That is different. It is. But I love it. The, I love the, it. The Dragonfly is actually a great venue. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it really is. It's, it's very personal. It is. You've got, uh, it's very comfortable. They're it sitting is. on couches and yep. everybody's, everybody's just kind of sitting around doing their thing yeah. and it's very artsy. It is. It reminds is. me of Greenwich Village, yeah, New York kind that, of thing. Yeah, that's, it's that's got good. that kind of vibe about it. It does. And so that's cool. I'm looking forward to it because we're going there on December the 18th of this year. With the turbulence, Society. I'll have to get up there and see that and too. I'm looking forward to that. We're basically playing a lot at your old stomping grounds, the yeah. Bracket Cedar Park. Yeah, I played so many. And that's my home away from home now. I love Bracket Cedar Park. Yeah, it's uh, been a long time there. There are people driving from two and a half hours away to come see us down there, and, and if you ever get people to come there, they love it. Oh, it's a great. They love it. It's it, good food. Some of my best best memories in music business were at Bracket Cedar Park. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's still the same as, oh, it's been 35, maybe 40 years since yeah. I played there. So, I mean. I yeah, said, you guys were playing there in Peeler's Mill yeah. when I was working for John T. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Don, actually, I, yep. I'll tell you this story about Don Rossman real quick. We left out of uh, Dublin, Georgia, uh, and blew a tire on our bus 
on a tandem on the back. And our next job, that was on a Saturday. And we had the Sunday off. And our next job was going to be in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Oh, man. So we had to go up those West Virginia mountains with one tandem and a lot of weight on the back of right. that thing. And uh, we went to Bracket Cedar Park and stayed that. Slept there? Yeah, and slept there. And when I got up on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, before we left out Sunday night, because we were leaving out for the night because it was going to be a long night. Right. Mr. Don had called Oki. Yep. And had Oki send somebody up there on a Sunday to put a $135 tire on that bus. I never will forget it. He wouldn't take the money. Uh, that's he Don. That's he Don. didn't know me no more than he knew anybody, but he done that for me. I said, you know, that's the kind of guy he was. I worked up there for him for a long time, and his whole family, you know. Good people. Good people. They're, good They're people. really good people. I, I, I'm glad you told that story. He's, he's, he, you know, he was always really good and kind to me. He's a good guy. And everybody loved him. They did. Yeah. They really did. Everybody loved him. You could tell that by the crowds you guys oh, played to. Oh, man. You guys were playing the three, four hundred people yeah, sometimes we were, up there. Yeah, that, you was know, really. yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah it was. And, you know, for it to be in uh, Kaiser, he kept it under control pretty good, yeah. too. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I, I felt pretty safe up there most of the time. <laughs> well, you know, that's one of the things I love about it now, just to show you how full circle all that's come. So I'm playing in a band now, and we're ethnically mixed yes y'all are yeah. you know we're, we're all yeah. we're all over the place that's why yeah. we call it the turbulent society right. yeah and now the crowds up there they're just as many blacks as there are whites which which there, will there's, you there's, there's mexicans that that people right. you would never have seen in the 70s when I in played Kaiser. There. yeah, yeah. yeah when I Kaiser, played that would never have no, happened no that would not so happen. I love it you know that is, I, that, I love it for that. that's I a, think that's it's a, great and there again that's the you know musicians care about musicians they don't see a whole lot past being no. a musician you know no it's, uh, and that's the way it should be it should be I mean it doesn't matter it doesn't matter they make jerks in every shape, color, Absolutely. and size, you know. So I mean, Absolutely. you know. So that's pretty good. Well, I know you're a busy man, and I do appreciate you taking the time to do this. I this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Been a lot of fun. It's a great story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
What you just heard was Rick Delosia and violinist Diana Necha Evia, Rogue Sonata, Opus Number Nine. Shortly after doing this podcast with Rick, I got a message that he was ill, very ill, very sick. And I'm just hoping that everyone who listens to this podcast will send prayers, uh, encouragement, and love to Rick. Reach out to him if you know him. And thank you for listening.